everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. What's up, man? Good morning. Yeah, good morning. It's bright. and Well, it's not that bright. It's kind of dark. I'm about to go out for like a 100-mile ride. It's dank. Yeah, and it's going to be probably a little a little damp outside when I do that. But this is episode 22 of the Mountain Bike Podcast, yes. Chad Reed's episode. Okay. Dedicated to Chad Reed. Why? I don't know. Chad, I don't know Chad Reed, and he's not going to listen to this, but whatever. Dedicated to Chad Reed. Well, you just made all the Santa Cruz and Intense bros really excited. Maybe, yeah. It, maybe not. They probably like Josh Hansen or somebody like that that's a little more metal, I'm well, sure, you know? Yeah. I was just thinking Moto in general. Truth. Yeah, yeah, they would like that. And if anyone doesn't know, Chad Reed, he's number 22, <clears throat> two, two, if you guys don't know about that. So a uh, famous motorcycle racer. Moving on to mountain bikes. You can find out more about this podcast and listen to the latest episodes. Subscribe so that way you don't miss an episode. You can get shirts, sweatshirts, and stickers on mtbpodcast.com. I think we should call them decals, not stickers. They decals. just sound more professional. Decals does sound much more professional. I like this. Yeah. No stickers, actual difference. Yeah. It still whatsoever. sticks. <laughs> yeah. It still sticks to things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's a decal. Yeah. I like it. Uh, where can they find us on social, Stephen? Uh, at MTB Podcast on Instagram. MTB Podcast at Facebook, mm-hmm. the MTB Podcast on Twitter, mm-hmm. and some other places I probably don't even know about. Who knows? I'm yeah. sure we're all the places. Yeah. So you can find us. You can listen to the podcast on whatever platform we listen to pretty much everywhere. If you can't find us somewhere, let us know, and we'll get it up there. Yeah. Uh, you can also leave us reviews on iTunes, five-star reviews. If we don't deserve a five-star review, just let us know, and we'll change things up, hopefully, so then we can make it better. Unless you're like, talk less about mountain bikes and more about road bikes, we'll probably say no. So Yeah, we'll ask you to leave. <laughs> yes, truth. Uh, next, uh, up to cover things really quick, or cover things, let's just jump in. So today, we're going to talk about the Carson City off-road, mm-hmm. and we're going to go into kind of a detailed breakdown of that. But before that, Stephen, we've got some news and we've got some questions, so let's start with the news. Perfect. All right, first things first, uh, we have the Enduro World Series. Round four in Ireland took place. I hope that's how you say Ireland with the accent. Ireland. Ireland, yeah. Yeah. And It's like orange. Orange, yes, kind of, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We This was, uh, so it rained like crazy in practice, and it was still kind of wet and greasy in spots yeah. on race day, but not too bad. And uh, Adrian Dali, he took it again. Uh, which is crazy, man. He's like doing really well. He was an under 23 or under 21. I can't remember what the age limits are there with Enduro, but he jumped up into this thing. He's doing well. Sam Hill gets second. Martin Mays gets third, which is good to see him back up there doing well. Yep. Really cool dude and good rider. After that, Jesse Melamed, then Richie Rude came through, uh, Robin Walner, Jerome Clements. Took seventh, yeah. Golf claps for Jerome. Golf claps. It's been a while since he's been up there. Uh, Florian Nikolai got eighth. Zacharias Johansson got ninth, and Greg Callahan got tenth. I know that Jared Graves snuck in and got a stage win, I believe, too. So yeah. uh, kudos to Jared. Uh, good dude. Uh, and Greg Callahan getting tenth, I'm, I, I was surprised. I thought he was going to win it because he's been doing so well, and this is his home race, and I'm sure he was hoping for the same. But Yeah. But hey, still. That's how it goes. Good job, man. Yep. Incredible stuff. Uh, number one, Cecile Ravenel no. took it. I know, right? Yeah. Amazing. But Katie Winton got second. That's, nice yeah. job. Very good. After that, 
uh, Andrienne Nadeau, I believe that's how you say her name. That's how I hear it pronounced whenever, you know, I, I hear it on the recaps and stuff. So I hope that's it. I apologize if that's not correct. Uh, and then Anita and Caroline Gehrig after that took. Went four or five. Yeah, yeah. pretty sweet, man. Totally. Uh, yeah. So this, and then <laughs> after that, uh, Rafaela Richter, she got sixth. Isabel Cordorier, she got seventh, which was a lower result than what she's been getting recently. Yeah. Um, but uh, kudos, just the same. Uh, Sandra Rubesim got eighth. Noga Korim got ninth. She's the rider from Israel that's just been doing so well this year, and it's I think it's her first year at EWS, so uh, really impressive to see that. And then Ines Toma got tenth, so impressive stuff. Yep. And that round, if anybody hasn't seen it, uh, the one word to to sum it up, I mean, beautiful is one word for sure, that riding in that area, but also rock. Yeah. Lots of big rock. Yeah. Lots of big slabs. And lots of wetness. Yes. Even though it wasn't raining during the race. Yeah. It cleared yeah. out, but still like uh, right. Dylan Santos, you know, friend of the podcast, he was running um, a Maxxis uh, shorty up front and a Which DHF is their mud tire. out back. Yeah. So the shorty is their mud tire. Yep. And then DHF is... It's their cut spike. Yeah, yeah. right. And then we usually run the DHF when it's not muddy up front. Yeah, but they ran it in the back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's some pretty slippery stuff, man. Uh, Next up, the XC World Cup round two happened in Albstadt. Totally different. We talked a little bit about this last episode, but totally different terrain than round one in the Czech Republic. This is big ups, big downs type of a thing. And there were two big ups, big downs. They did change the course up a little bit. So there's some intermediate, like like halfway down the descent, there's a little climb, then more descending. But uh, pretty interesting stuff. This race, the men's, so the women's race was, was really good. Constant battle up at the front, and I was surprised because I didn't really expect, honestly, I didn't expect uh, Yana Belamoyna to come back up all the way to first and end up winning, but it was an awesome race to watch. So basically what happened was that, and uh, well, first I'm going to start with Yolanda Neff. She ended up getting third, mm-hmm. and Yolanda Neff, she's known for starting super hard, then either making it stick and pulling a huge gap or blowing up. And in this race, she started conservatively, and then she just worked her way to the front, and it was really good to see. Yeah. So killer race, and she's such a fast descender. She was able to manage gaps that opened up on the climbs with that really well. Then Maya Vajovska, she was in first for a long time up front. She, like, pretty much the whole race. And then Yana Belamoyna came up and caught. I think that she was sitting back in around sixth or so, and she just steamrolled her way to the front slowly but surely the whole way through the race, and she yeah. ended up winning. First win for her. Really awesome stuff. Uh, and also, it was the first win for the Ukraine, I believe, and for ever getting an XC World Cup win. Interesting. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, fourth place, Linda Indegrand. She did really well. Then Rebecca Hender- Henderson got fifth, which was, that's, I think, her best finish ever, which was really cool. Uh, and she's also a privateer. If you look at, like, all the other people have full sp- full-on sponsorships with factory teams. And she's no, herself. Yeah. yeah. Her and her, I believe, her boyfriend, uh, Daniel McConnell, both Australian, they just have their own team yeah. and they're just making it work. And that's pretty cool to see a privateer team get fifth. It is. So, Alessandra Keller got sixth. Sabina Spitz got seventh. Adelaide Morath got eighth. And Gunnarita Darling, she, or Dala, she got ninth. And Emily Batty got tenth. Nice job, Emily Batty. Yeah. Also, shouts to Erin Huck. She got 11th. So she's on the Cannondale Three Rocks team. American. Uh, that's always close to our hearts here. So, American business, especially because we just have Memorial Day. Fair. So Murka. In the men's race. So Murka. Yes. <laughs> in the men's race, it was crazy. Like if any of you are listening to this and thinking XC racing is like watching golf, 
you really should have watched this race or you still can you just go to Red Bull TV and you can watch it. But Matthew Vanderpool, the cyclocross racer, or Matthew Vanderpool, I believe is how you should pronounce it, but he got, he races cyclocross, right? So he's used to for one hour, just like as hard as he possibly can, killing himself. full power out of every turn, yeah. full, just constantly, right? So he got a front row start this time. He went to the front and for five laps on this course out of seven, five laps. So I think nearly an hour and 15 minutes, he was at the front and like uh, Nino Scherter was there. And then on top of that too, uh, oh gosh, why can't I think of his name right now? Um, Matias, uh, I can't think of his last name. What'll come to me, but he ended up going through. And so it was Matias up front and then it was Nino Scherter. And then it was Matthew Vanderpool, all of the, or I should say Matthew Vanderpool and then Nino Scherter in the top three. And Vanderpool was making Scherter look really uncomfortable. Like okay. he was trying really hard. And he was just pushing rare. a pace, trying to blow. Yeah, and that's Scherter rare up. for us to see Scherter looking like that, right? Yeah. Um, we saw it sometimes with Julian Absalon in the past, but this was like really hard. And hmm. and he pushed so hard. Then Vanderpool ended up crashing on a descent. He's a good descender, but he ended up crashing. And Nino went to the front. Then Nino was just like going as hard as he possibly could. And Vanderpool was still chipping away at the gap. Uh, and just couldn't quite catch him. No, yeah, couldn't catch him. But it was amazing to watch. He was so fast. So that was a really fun race. Uh, Nino Scherter ended up winning. Matthew Vanderpool ended up getting second. Anton Cooper ended up getting third. David Valero, the guy that got second last time, he got fourth. Maxime Morat got fifth. Stefan Tempier got sixth. Julian Absalon got seventh. I was expecting him to do better, yeah. but he might be just starting slow this year and, and he'll work his way in. Uh, Florian Vogel, he ended up getting eighth. Manuel Fumic, the local guy in Germany there, he ended up getting ninth. And Jan Skarnitzel, I hope that's how you say that. I'm sure that's not how you say that name, but he ended up getting 10th. So good good job to him. Uh, yeah, it was absolutely crazy. I did not expect that. And also, if you look at the... If you look at the race recap, you'll see, and it's Matthias Flückinger. That was the guy that crashed. He ended up crashing in this turn. And then there was this section where you had a really tight little turn around like a, a hay bale or something. And they did that to slow people down because... It's a sketchy section where it's like really fast, kind of off camber, and it bends right, and there's just giant trees everywhere. Okay. And if you go off of that thing at speed, it would really hurt. So you have this little hay bale, and then you have two like water bars that are just like big logs mm -hmm. that, that people have put there. And Matthias Flickinger was jumping that. He was hitting the first log and jumping downhill over the second log. He was the only one doing it. Okay. Doesn't have a dropper, I don't think. He was just running that post high, sending it. He crashes in the turn before that, right? And he gets up kind of slow. And you see it when he gets up, he's just like, I'm just going to get right back up and send this log gap that I've been hitting the whole time. <laughs> yeah. He sent it hard. He got kicked a little forward, a little crooked, landed, went out of control, and blew off the course at a massive rate of speed. His bike went straight into a tree, and he went airborne flying downhill and slammed into a tree with his torso. So he crashed twice. It was brutal. Yeah. Yeah, it was brutal. But it's like a it's like a highlight reel crash. So if you want to see that one, I recommend it. It's quite entertaining. Uh, so that covers Albstadt UCI, the UCI race. Iron Horse Bicycle Classic happened. Uh, for those that don't know what that is, that should be, I feel like, on everyone's list. And that's one that I'm actually thinking of doing next year. I don't know how I'd work it out with time and everything else uh, because it's a really busy time for me every year. But... 
it's a race that goes on in Durango. It takes down over the whole town. They have a straight, like Red Bull straight rhythm, the motorcycle race, where it's just like two guys side by side in one really long rhythm section. They built like a BMX course down Main Street where it's just straight. And then they had races going, match racing. It was super cool. Uh, Really just, yeah, really cool stuff. So uh, anyways, with that one, uh, they ended up, so Hannah Bingham ended up getting the win and this is in the MTB race. So they have an MTB race, a road race, and that's like, and then I don't know if they have any other results, but I think the points get added up from both of those. Gotcha. So that's how that works. And it's an omnium. <clears throat> so Hannah Bingham got first, Emily Shalduck got second, Rebecca Gross got third. In the pro men, Howard Grotz got first. That's familiar. Mm-hmm. Ben Sontag got second, also familiar. And uh, Rhoda Mache, he ended up getting third. And Payson McElvin, friend of the podcast, nice job Payson getting fourth, especially after a kind of a crazy day that you had on the road. So, yeah. and leading into it. So good job, man. Uh, pretty cool stuff to see. Some interesting stuff though, when you look at the road race, Sep Cuss, he was the guy that rides for rally. And I don't know if anybody watched the tour of California, but he was like in breakaways and doing everything else. So this dude had some gnarly fitness and he ended up actually winning the road race. Mark Ausmanstad got second and Grotz got third in that. Sontag got fourth and Rota Mache got fifth. So that's pretty good for mountain bikers to do well in the road race yeah, like that. Absolutely pretty awesome to see. So uh, that's where we sat on that one. Then Stephen, the H, the Ibis released their H, Ibis released their HD four. They did. Is it still called the Mojo? Do you think, or is it just the HD four now? I'm not actually sure. I'm guessing that it's still going to be the Mojo line because that's kind of iconic within Ibis's world. But these are really the important things about yeah. a new bike when it's released, right? It's the name, the nomenclature. Yes, it's yes. all about that. Yes, um, <clears throat> but some details on this bike, Stephen. Ridiculously slacked head tube angle, almost two degrees slacker than the previous, than the HD3. Yeah. And it's 64.9. It's crazy. Luckily, you can run an angle set on it. Um, you yeah. Know, one, this is actually one of the bikes that um, that the guys at Ibis want to send us eventually cool. to test. And um, Dylan Santos is actually running a one degree plus um, angle set on his. So he's actually set his to go a little steeper because this bike is so slacked so out. Slack. Yeah. Huh. Crazy. So... It's got a 455 millimeter reach plus 24 millimeters over the HD3. So for those counting at home, that's 2.4 centimeters. That's almost an inch. Yeah. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, I think 25.4 millimeters would be an inch. So yes, yeah, it's almost. We're quite close. That's that's actually a substantial change in geometry. I mean, they upped a size. You know, full size. Someone who used to ride a large would now ride a medium. So they're now more in line with most other brands as far as sizing goes. Yes, they also changed the DW link in the rear. Still a DW link, but they ended up changing around some of the linkage placement so that it actually makes it more progressive as well, which is an interesting thing to see. And I think it's probably good. Uh, just a progressive design allows you to run a shock with just a little bit, like it, uh, I guess it just allows the shock to work better in a lot of cases. Yeah. Right? So um, it can be, I guess you can do it either way. Really that, that statement's kind of moot. You can make it work however you wish. Um, but I think the most important thing about this bike, and we can all agree is the color options. It comes in fireball red, which it genuinely looks like that candy fireball mm-hmm. or the uh, label on a, on a certain drink, if you're thinking of that as well. And it also uh, looks, and then the other color is Añejo silver and lime. I think there's a, an alcoholism theme going on here. I think so. Yeah. Fireball and tequila. <laughs> yes, I think good. so. I like it. Yeah. Um, but sweet <clears throat> bikes, uh, really good bikes. I'm, I'm interested to see how it handle or how it performs. The one thing that 
is has been said is that it's very playful despite its size and it yeah. climbs much much better i wonder if the climbing much better is is part of the so first of all the more progressive design has allowed them to change around the shock that they use and everything else and the tune of that i'm sure but suspension design has just improved so much too yeah that i'm sure that that's helped it you know pedal better but interesting stuff it's good to see way to go ibis uh, i didn't expect them to release a new bike I guess at this cadence, you know, they've been releasing quite a few. Yeah, so. they have been. Kudos to them. Uh, in terms of race results, we've got two more things to cover, and then we'll get into questions. Uh, a race that happened was the uh, Yeti Cycles BME, Big Mountain Enduro Series, if you don't know what that means, and that's all around the U.S. It'll be going on. Uh, and I think they may even have one in Mexico. I'm not sure if they That's usually where they, they finish the BME series is in in Mexico last year, they did that. So in Mexico, Mexico. Yes. Uh, pro <clears throat> women results. Uh, so actually let's go to, uh, yes. Pro women, uh, Krista rust. She ended up getting first and Galleon got second. Third was Alex Pavone and fourth, Becky Gardner, fifth, Rachel Strait. Pretty sweet to see a gnarly course, man. Yeah. That they had that section with the big drop in it. And if there's a crash reel on a pink bike that you can watch and it's, it's turn the volume down because there's one point that it will destroy your ears, but, uh, rip ears, eardrums at that point, but it's got some awesome, awesome, uh, crashes in there. <laughs> Pretty gnarly stuff. So that was good to see. Pro men, Sean Near took first. Jubal Davis got second. Third was David Camp. Fourth, Scott Countryman. And fifth, Mason Bond, everyone's favorite person we to silent Mason. cheer. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, pretty good stuff. The race is sponsored by Yeti. So go yeah. ahead, drink. And yeah. the podium was uh, in the men's podium, top two steps. And then in the women's podium, we had second lockdown. So yeah. solid. Uh, and I say we as in uh, being a Yeti ambassador, though, we're all part of the tribe, right? There so go. there we go. Uh, awesome race to see. And last thing to cover. On a totally different note, the Transylvania epic happened, and that is actually in Transylvania, rounded just the whole course by vampires, very scary things. Uh, I'm sure that's what they're going for. Why are that, vampires scary? Why do they have to be scary? I don't know. It's really the Trans-Pennsylvania. That's what it's talking about. Yeah. And it's a stage race, and they also included an Enduro Day this year into the stage race, the cross-country stage race, which was pretty interesting. And it allowed for some gaps to end up opening up and for things to change around, uh, which is good to see. So um, let's go over the GC results. First of all, with general the general classification after stage five, Justin Lindeen ended up getting first. I wasn't too surprised there. Kyle Trudeau, good job, Kyle, ended up getting second. And Kerry Werner got third. Uh, awesome stuff there. And if we look at the women's side of things, uh, Sonia Looney was sitting up there in GC and then she had a bike failure and then she borrowed somebody's bike. It had flats. She had the, the clippy dancy road shoes or like, you know, XC shoes. Yeah. And she rode that thing in gnarly rock gardens all the way to the finish after, by the way, she had some sauce that she was making in some type of like a, 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 a thing in a hotel explode and give her second degree burns all over her. She like, what a week, man. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. So really good job. Uh, even though you didn't end up on the podium, Sonia, good job. That was awesome stuff. Uh, Casey Armstrong took the win in the women's division. Uh, Vicky Barclay got second, and Brianna Blanchard ended up getting third. So, Stephen, that covers all the news. That was a lot of news for... There's a lot. Yeah. A lot happened. Let's get into the questions. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. <laughs> 
first one is from Sean, and it's less of a question, more of a tip. He says, tip for the enduro bros out there. On day three of my last Moab trip, my buddy got a flat. No problem, I thought. I carry a spare tube Velcro strapped onto the underside of my seat. Well, lo and behold, that sucker had slipped out in the strap somewhere over the last few days of rock smashing. My butt was left with a long walk. Also, that's a Moab walk. We should cover that. Yeah. Moab walks are not normal walks. You're walking on, on ovens, basically just like really hot burners. Cause it's really hot earth. True. And it's also tears the, sh- the, the tread off the bottom of your shoe because it's very grippy, nasty stuff. So gnarly. Yep. He says, I wanted a better solution to the generic Velcro strap, which dropped my tube. And through some searching, I stumbled upon backcountry research. This company makes the Motherload strap, and that's M-U-T-H-E-R-L-O-A-D, Motherload. Motherload strap, used by pros like Richie Root and Cody Kelly. This thing uses a smart and simple retention system. This seems like an ad. He says, this uses a smart and simple retention system to hold your item securely in place on the bike frame. I personally picked up the race strap saddle mount and have been very pleased. No more dropped tube. I've wanted to try these things out for a while because I, I use on my saddle the specialized bandit to hold everything in place. But that thing is actually, I've had two of them crack, like the little frame that yeah. kind of holds things on, it's cracked. Yeah. So I want to give these a shot. If anybody from Backcountry Research is listening, let us know. We'll give one a shot and then uh, we'll review it on here and see how it works. Totally. Chris, good day, bros. You guys are awesome. Five stars. Look he actually put five little stars in there. Yeah, there, there's there's actual stars there, people. Uh, so he says, uh, could you please recommend a light with a GoPro mount to fit my bars? Cheers, CP. Absolutely. Yes. So here's most most lights are going to have like a quarter by 20, you know, thread in the bottom of them or something like that to actually mount, you know, different, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, accessory mounts to them. Light in motion. Um, I use their Taz 1200 and love that. Wait, mine's a Taz 1500. Sorry. I have the Ooh. big 1500. Um, and that actually <laughs> has their own accessory mount on the bottom, which you can get a GoPro mount for, um, yep. which is awesome. Um, so that guy right there, done. Any of the any of the uh, the light motion lights. Um, yes. I have the Trail 850 for my helmet, and that actually comes with yep. the the uh, the GoPro mount. So that's how I put it on my helmet, and, and that's I what think I use. Kedge is now making certain accessories for different light companies, like Knight Rider. I think they're yeah. starting to make some some mounts that you can just bolt in, like you mentioned there. And to be clear, we're not talking about a light that you can mount a GoPro to. We're talking about a light that can just mount into a GoPro mount. Yes. That yeah. way you don't have to have a bunch of different mounts on your bars. Yep. Because nobody likes that business. Nobody. Ain't nobody got Except for those for weird quad lock people. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Tyler says, hey guys, loving the podcast so far and always excited for the new episodes. I was wondering if you had any advice for me regarding training or anything else. I'm a sophomore in high school. Nice job. I'm getting ready for the mountain bike race season next year. The races are season or the race races for the season are XC specific. And I'm going to be running a Trek Marlin seven. I know it's not the best bike in the world, but it's all I have at the moment. And any advice would be appreciated. Thanks. I'm just going to jump in on the bike really quick. That's totally good for, for, for racing. It's just fine. Yeah. And yeah, sure. It isn't the best bike, but uh, in terms of like, you know, comparing it to the top end tracks, but we're talking marginal gains that you're going to get right there. It's not, you can get so much more improvement out of training, working on your technique and everything else like that. 
you know, I, I see a bunch of, we, we, you and I see a bunch of kids show up to, to group rides and training sessions even, and they have bikes that are old, that are beat up, whatever else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter, man. Yep. Build your skill, learn to ride that bike at 110%. Yes. And then once you've outgrown that bike in your skill, then worry about getting something that's either nicer or more capable or whatever. Yep. There's a guy named, uh, there's a guy on YouTube and it's, his channel is called Seth's Bike Hacks. He's a really nice dude. And he's done like different videos on like riding a Walmart bike and seeing how much it could last, you know? Yep. And it's, it's impressive to see what he can do on a bike like that. Yeah. And I think that that's just the thing. And that's a Walmart bike. That's certainly nothing like your, your Trek is you know, eons better than that thing. Yeah. So I think that you can still do a whole lot on that bike and you can learn quite a lot in terms of training. The one thing that you want to keep in mind is that you're young, so it's easy to push yourself too far and push yourself into a situation where you're getting tired. Yeah. And it's, it's just, uh, I, I think that with training with high school kids after being pretty close to it now for a year or two, I think that it's important to have some structure in there, uh, but keep the effort shorter and, 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 and harder and, and kind of back to back type of stuff work yeah. on that, especially for high school racing, but don't worry a whole lot about overloading yourself with too much training. If you want to have like something to look at, I would recommend looking at, and I know we mentioned this all the time, but it just makes it simple. If you sign up for trainer road, uh, it's pretty darn cheap. It's 12 bucks a month. Uh, that's really darn cheap in terms of bike stuff. Yeah. So if you sign up for trainer road, then you can check out, they have low volume plans. that will give you three workouts a week and that's super easy to yeah. do. And then just spend the rest of your time having fun and riding your bike. Cause that's really the important part. Yeah. If you followed a low volume plan and then you went out and you actually worked on training and like, yeah. and, or sorry, then you worked on skills you would destroy, you would be really fast yeah. compared to everybody else. So Absolutely. that'd be a great way to do it. Uh, Lewis or Louie, what do you, what do you think we should go with Steven? I'm going to go with Lewis. Lewis. All right. Lewis. For no reason. All right. Hey guys, loving the podcast. I was wondering if you guys do anything special to keep your derailleur pulleys clean. Despite washing my bike, mine still get gunked up. Um, he says, am I using the wrong lube causing it to gunk up? Any pro tips on cleaning them without removing them? Thanks for your help. Old toothbrush. It's a great one. Yeah. Stiff I mean, bristles is stiff best. bristles. Just, yeah. Just honestly scrub it down with a little brush every, you know, every time you wash your bike and be done with it. I think that that is the key with derailleur pulleys. Every time you wash your bike, which should be frequently, if you do that and every time you clean it off, it doesn't give it a whole lot of opportunity for things to gunk up. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what chain lube I use, I use the Dumonda tech stuff, the, the light lube it's yellow smells very strong. So if you use it, want to use it in a ventilated area when yeah. you put it on, uh, but that stuff does not gunk up for me. I'm sure if I left it on there, or like put way too much on sure. Um, but a couple things on this, number one, if you're putting lube on right next to your pulleys, you don't need to do that. Yeah. Uh, put the lube on further away from that, uh, kind of in between the, the chain ring and those pulleys, you can put it on there and also don't put on excess. All it takes is a drop on each link and then you're fine. And then just rub the chain down after that's another thing that a lot of people miss. I always, I, I let the chain lube sit and if I can, I'll let it sit for an hour or two, something like that. Then after that, I take a rag and I just run my rag or run the chain through that rag and just grip that chain. And if I do that, it usually gets rid of the excess and then I don't have buildup. 
Yeah. So, and I, I actually just started using, um, Pedro's just reformulated all their chain lubes oh, and I'm actually, right. yeah. I'm finally using their new Enduro lube yeah. and for a wet lube, it's actually, it doesn't gunk up like typical wet lubes do. Um, yeah. it's kind of a hybrid, I guess. Um, very, very smelly, much strong, much strong. In there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I use it in a ventilated area, but you know, it goes on nice and smooth, doesn't seem to gunk up terribly. Um, and it actually lasts a solid, you know, solid ride and it's still like got, you know, some, I think I saw you crossing rivers on Saturday. Yeah. So yeah. 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 And I was riding, I'm back yeah. riding. You are, you're <clears throat> making very hard pedal now. I am. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and it, let's just get into that really quick before we get into the next questions here. How's it been? You've been coming back from knee surgery. Yeah. I'm 16 weeks post-op as of today. Okay. Um, I've been released to ride. My orthopedic surgeon says I'm not allowed to stand and pedal but I'm standing and pedaling. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, how's that work out for you? It's working yeah. out great. Um, <laughs> the knee's actually totally fine. Um, I'm up to, uh, the first couple rides were six, eight, nine miles, um, but I rode five days out of the last eight. That's pretty good. And worked my way up That's to really the last last ride I rode with um, Brian Butler, Brianne Spears. They're good friends of mine, you know, both pro and duro. Folks. And uh, Zach Waymeyer, our little fast, you know, my little protege. Yes, also and, fast. And I let them kind of pace the ride and I tried to keep up. Obviously, I didn't. <laughs> but um, other than the fitness, the knee's feeling really good, but I'm definitely like having to build back that fitness. But, uh, totally. you know, we did... 12 miles and about 1600 feet of climbing. Good. Um, and I did about an 8.3 mile an hour average. So Good. it was actually pretty decent for, for being back. like the fifth ride back. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. So yeah. Good job. It's doing, I'm doing good. Good to hear. Yeah. Um, take it, take it easy. Take your time coming back with, it, with a knee. It's yep. always there. They're, once you get inflammation, it's so hard to get it out of there. So, uh, last question is from Julian. He says, Hey guys, I have a couple follow-up questions from the last episode. First, Jonathan, you mentioned the tires you are planning to use on your cross bike for your upcoming gravel race. The tire sounded like the Max and Mi Maxis Minion SS mountain bike tire, slick center, and knobby side tread. I'm curious what conditions terrain or terrain a tire like this is best suited for and which it is not suited for. So it certainly is not the Maxis Minion, but yes, you are correct that it is similar in that yeah. respect in terms of it having small, pro small knobs in the center and bigger knobs to the side. That was the WTB Riddler is yeah. what I'm using. And... It's great. It's not good for mud. No. If you're riding in mud, this is a bad tire. Yes. If you're riding in deep, soft dirt also, I would recommend that this is not a great, I would recommend using something else. Like yeah. a cross boss would be great in that situation. But in this case, I'm riding a lot of loose over hard and like hard packed gravel roads. Yes. Uh, I, that And with the large volume of that tire, because you can get it in a 45 up front, you could also use this on grass courses. You could use this on cross courses that even have some sand on there because that large volume is really going to help you float. Yeah, flotation-wise, it'll yep, be really it's good. It's going to help a lot. So yeah. that's where I would use it. Uh, and yeah, I'm curious to see how it works. I'm, I'm kind of really... Okay, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not looking forward to riding 100 miles on gravel roads <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> on Saturday, but we're going to make it happen, and and I'll see how it goes. But I really do think this tire is going to be pretty darn good. Yeah. So it'll be a good setup. I'll let you all know. Second, Steven joked about sending a frame to a local auto body shop to get painted. Is this a real option, or should we stick to a bike-specific paint shop? I'm more referring to an aluminum frame here. Selfishly, suggestions for a frame paint shop in Phoenix, Arizona. I uh, can't thank you guys enough for the work you put in to produce such great content each week. Cheers. 
As far as that goes, uh, the custom painting, I actually have a, a friend who owns an auto body shop, but it's a, they do mostly custom work and, uh, he loves doing bike frames. He does, you know, uh, gas tanks for like Harleys and things like that. Sweet. So, you know, he's used to having smaller stuff in his shop. It took him a while and it, there was definitely a learning curve, you know, to it, but this guy did an amazing job as elite customs over in, uh, in Sparks, Nevada here. Yeah. Um, as I don't, far know, as of, Phoenix, I don't know of anybody in Phoenix. In Phoenix, I can't recommend anybody. I don't know anybody. Um, but really, you go to any body shop, and they typically have a guy who happens to just be skilled in airbrushing and doing small stuff and, you know, doing little custom projects. Yeah. So either way, I mean, just feel it out. You're just going to have to go to body shops. You know what I would do is I would also consider talking to, if you know anybody in the hot rod crowd or anybody in a custom car space Yeah. or anybody even better in the custom motorcycle space. That's kind of what, you know, that's where I fell in with, with mm -hmm. Jimmy over at elite customs is that's the kind of stuff that he does. Yep. So find a guy like that and you might be able to find him easier, uh, by, you know, getting to the source of the type of people that go to him. And now with that said, the thing you have to remember, the ASR that I had custom painted for this, um, uh, for this customer friend, Maria, um, it was a $900 paint job. Yeah, not cheap. And, you know, we used three separate pearl colors. There was a pearl white, um, the black mica pearl, which was the color of my old Mazda Speed 3. That was an accent color. And then the main pearl, the main pearl pink was called dragon fruit pearl. Mm. And it's a bright, vibrant, like hibiscus flower pink. Yikes. And nice. it was a gorgeous bike when we got done with it. And he ghosted in all of the uh, Yeti decals and the Yeti man logo. Ooh. It was actually a really good wor uh, piece of work. And he even took the handlebars and painted the Easton Haven handlebars to match the rest of the frame. Hot dang. And this guy did a good job, and uh, we should probably uh, post pictures on the Instagram of it. We should. But, um, but is, it was a phenomenal. Is it still around? Fun it, uh, it's in Las Vegas, actually. The the girl that owns it, Maria, she moved to Vegas. and uh, We'll shoot. Yeah, but I've got good pictures of it, so we'll share. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we get into the Carson City Off-Road Review, I want to selfishly take some time and talk about some racing that I did this week, because I think me. we can learn a few things. Yes, me time, everybody. Yeah. Do we need an intro for this now, for the me time? I don't know. <laughs> we should think of something. <laughs> All right. So uh, first of all, last week was hashtag speed week, and it was three races in a week. And for a guy like me with a full-time job and, and family and all that stuff, three races in a week is really hard to, to squeeze in these days. So, but it was a criterium and that was on Tuesday. And then after that, it was the mountain bike race that we had on Thursday, just the Twilight Series race. And then the Susanville mountain bike race on the Saturday. I already talked about the previous two, but the final one we didn't talk about because we recorded before the race. Yep. And I just wanted to share something that I learned on that race. So I ended up, uh, I ended up second person to finish on the day. Uh, Nathan Barton, really fast mountain bike racer from the NorCal area. He ended up beating me uh, in the pro race. Or sorry, he was pro. He ended up beating me overall, but I was the first cat one, and and I was the second person overall that day. Yeah. I so that race, Susanville, the cross country race, it is so much fun. And everybody listening to this, if you can, that would be such a cool XC race for people to do next year. You should try to do it. It's almost always right around Memorial Day. And it's it's just so much fun. It's a great place to go and camp. You can hang out. You can and that that the trails are incredible. Yeah. So much fun. That said, the cross country race is really hard because mm -hmm. you're riding up those trails and down them all the time. 
you think that you're done like eight times over and I, it just continues. Yeah. I pre-rode the course last year with Zach Waymeyer and, or two years ago. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's such, it's brutal. Yeah. And I, but it's, it's once you're done, you have so much fun descending that it's enough to make you not want to just throw yourself off of a cliff. That's so, true. cause the descending is so much fun, but that race, I, I, I developed a strategy beforehand because last time I did it, when I got like 75% through, I was almost in tears. So I didn't want to end up in tears this time and I actually wanted to finish strong. So I started the race and I started extremely hard for a couple of reasons. Number one, positioning is very important and there's a lot of single track on this course. Yes. Number two, it's an XC race. You should start hard because then it thins things out and it makes things tough for people that that aren't tough, right? So that's the other reason. But then the final reason this is a bit of strategy on my side. I, okay. I implemented some stratagem, Stephen. I thought if I start really hard, then I might be able to convince people that that's the type of intensity they're going to need for the whole day. Okay. So I started off and I sat in around 400 watts for like the first four minutes, five minutes of the race. And it was really hard. And then after that, we dropped into single track. I let Nathan Barton go ahead of me. He was the only one on my wheel at that point, but there were other guys that were pretty close to us. So Nathan went ahead of me. And then I settled in, I, if this was really hard to do, but I settled into a pace that I knew was conservative. I figured it was slightly below what I could sustain all day, Okay. but I settled into that pace because I knew that this race was going to be really hard and I had no clue if it was going to break me again, yeah. mentally or, or physically. So I settled into that pace and I watched three people pass me. They just passed me and went away, passed me, went away, passed me, went away. And it was really hard to do, but I stuck to my plan because I knew that course and I knew that if I paced myself, I'd be strong at the end and they might not be strong at the end. Yeah. And when all of them passed me, they were just going as hard as they could. So Mm -hmm. it was perfect. I figured good. They're riding really hard. I stuck to my guns. I made sure that when I was descending that I wasn't sprinting as hard as I could out of every turn. I was, I was still pedaling out of the turns, but I wasn't just, you know, breaking, you know, getting PRs out of every turn, sprinting hard. I tried to use my brakes a whole lot less. I just tried to stay smooth. Just be as efficient as possible. Yeah. I was able to catch so much or bring back so much time on the descents, so much time because of being smooth and just rolling through my turns. And then also at the end, when the climbs would finish, I would have enough gas that I'd be able to push really hard on the flats, push everywhere else. And I was still Whereas everybody else was using it to recover. Exactly. Yeah. And I was able to, I ended up reeling in those other guys and yeah. reeling them in, passing them and, and bringing them back and, and finishing not too far off of Nathan's time. So just, uh, I think three or four minutes, which is a big gap in XC, but when it's a two hour and 20 minute race, that's, that's a pretty small amount of time. Yeah. So anyways, I guess that the point with this is number one, if it's a long XC race, favor efficiency over you pedaling as hard as you possibly can. This one has switchbacks that have 30% kicks and pretty much every switchback and it's loose dirt. So you can't just get out of the saddle and pedal as hard as you can. You have to stay in the saddle and grind. So favor efficiency a lot of the time on that day, instead of just pure aggression. And if it's a long race, it can pay off. Totally. That's it. Cool thing about that race. I I really enjoy, um, a lot of the guys within, um, Susanville area bike, bicyclers association. It's Saba. Saba. So a lot of the guys there are all prison guards. There's two big, there's a state and a federal prison that up in Susanville. So a lot of them are prison guards and they're big dudes and they're very big dudes (laughs) and they're very mean dudes. No, actually they're all really nice. (laughs) They're super Um, nice guys. Yeah. Uh, cool thing about that is a lot of those trails are built and maintained by, uh, work release crews. Like they are prisoners that are helping build those trails. So it's actually really 
kind of interesting. The mayor of the town and a bunch of other people, and I think the sheriff, they're all super into mountain biking. Yeah. They're like, they love it. They ride every day type of a thing. So they've worked together with the jail to have productive work for these guys to do. And reportedly, from what I hear, the prisoners absolutely love it. They love it. They, it gets them like, out. It gets them actually building something instead of just cleaning up trash on the side of the right. road. In fact, I've been out riding while the, the prisoners were working, yeah. and I've stopped and thanked them. And they're like the most grateful yeah, because like, they're outside getting yeah. to do some awesome work, and it's and they they also get like uh, I've I've spoken to a crew there before too, and they just like the fact that other people get to enjoy their work. You exactly, know? it's and when you think about it, they've they've done they've done bad things to get into jail, of and course. that sucks. But at the same time, it's it's good to give them an opportunity to have productivity that that ends up benefiting other people. Exactly, you know, it's pretty awesome, and I'm sure that makes them feel good. So, did you get to see Aurora? Uh, I did not see Aurora because she lives up there now. I know with a prison guard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. For those that don't know, we're not talking about anyone in particular. We're talking about Steven's bike. So, uh, the the five five that we built up. Yeah. Now, Stephen, let's get into the business. It's business time. Carson City Off-Road by Epic Rides. Let's talk about this race. It's coming up in, uh, geez, it's going to be June 16th to June 18th. So just a few weeks here. Two weeks away. Uh, two weeks away from when people will be listening to this, if when it's released. <clears throat> and th- also, if you are going to miss it this year, it will happen the next year, which is very good. So you'll be able to, to listen to it then yep. uh, or go ride it then. The course, just so that people know, traditionally the course was a 50. So you have... This race, you have a 15-mile, 35-mile, or 50-mile option. The 15-mile option stays low. It starts in downtown Carson City. And actually, before we get into this, let's just cover. On the 16th, it's a Friday evening, and they have a fat tire crit for the pros, which is totally fun to watch. Terrifying to be riding in city streets with everybody having nearly 800 millimeter wide bars. Exactly. You don't realize how hard it is to move up in a criterium until everybody has really wide bars. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult, especially when you've got guys that have gnarly peak power and can put out hard efforts after hard efforts. So after every turn you're th- you think, okay, I'm going to sprint really hard out of this turn and I'm going to be able to make up a few spots. You're just sprinting really hard just to try to hold your spot. Exactly. It's, it's really hard, mm-hmm. but it's super fun to watch. Yeah. They take over main street, their bands playing live. And this goes for every Epic rides race. Their bands playing live. They have vendors on the street. It's just a good time. Yeah. Uh, they get like open container uh, permissions for for those weekends. It's it's pretty cool. So and that's right in front of the state capitol. Like yeah. Right in front of the legislature building. You're and, practically yeah. on the lawn. Yeah. Right there. Which exactly. Is pretty cool. It's so cool. Uh, it's just a good time. Such a cool race, and it does happen in our backyard. So we can provide some insight on this. The previous course, the 15 mile course, starts in Carson, and it ends up going up uh, an area called Kings Canyon. It goes up a road, and it turns into a dirt road, and it's pretty steep and relentless. And that climbs up and then you get onto a single track called Ash to Kings. But in this case, you're actually doing that backwards. You're going Kings to Ash, which is the much more fun way to do it. Yes. And once you ride that, you drop down on a trail called Creek Trail. And then from Creek Trail, you end up climbing just a tiny little bit up to a trail called Return to Sender, Mm -hmm. which I have the KOM on, by the way. (laughs) I'm tied, though, with a guy. I don't know physically. I think I have to get a bigger chain ring to beat it. Yeah, what is this, soccer? You can tie on (laughs) Strava? Yeah, I need to change that, yeah. So, but anyways, you take that, and then after that, you work your way down the roads into town. Yeah. So that's the loop for the 15-miler. And in previous iterations of the race, just the 15-miler did that. 
Yeah. And then what you had for the 35 miler is you climbed all the way to the top of Kings Canyon, past that turnoff to that Ash to Kings trail. Yeah. You went all the way up. You climbed really high up in elevation up to about 90 or right about, I think it's like 9,500 feet, something like that. Okay. So really high. We're talking 3,000 meters and you're up above a lake called Marlette Lake. And then below that lake is a little thing we call Lake Tahoe. So just yeah. a, the big blue wet thing down there. Yeah. And then you drop down from there and you end up working your way to Ash to Kings, but you're on the Ash side. So you end up climbing back. That was the traditional course for 35. The 50 miler just added on more stuff at high elevation. Exactly. Now it's different. So because we have way too much snow, this year, still, still, yeah, there's still so much. Yeah, June snow 1st up there. is tomorrow, and yeah. we have too much snow. It's crazy. But it, now this year, it's different. <clears throat> so, that, that 15 mile route we talked about, where you go up partially Kings Canyon, then you take the Ash to Kings Trail backwards, yeah, and work your way down. That's the 15 mile route. This year, the 35 mile route is doing that twice. Yep. But on the second lap, you don't just take the road up Kings Canyon. You take a trail called Easy Trail, work your way over to Sea Hill. That's another trail. And then you work your way down to Kings Canyon and, and climb back up. So much more single track. Before it was mostly Jeep trail and some, some, some fire road, a lot of that, yeah. the course was. And some single track. And some. Like and fi the 50 miler had what, 12 to 15 miles of single track and then the rest so. was all Jeep road. Yep. Yeah. This year, it's very different. Yeah. It's a whole lot of single track. Yes. If you're on dirt, you're almost always on single track, except for one portion where you drop down from this trail that's called Easy Trail and Sea Hill in that region. You end up dropping down into an area where they keep a bunch of sheep, mm -hmm. actually, down there. Really pretty meadow. And you're on a Jeep trail for just a bit. And then you dump onto that Kings Canyon fire road for not very long, we're talking like a half mile. Yeah. And then you're all the way, then you're on single track for the rest of the time. So that's the mm -hmm. 35 mile route is you do that loop twice. And on the second lap, you end up taking more single track. The 50 mile route, you do that loop three times. And for the latter two laps, uh, you end up taking that single track route. Exactly. I know that may sound, people mm -hmm. may be bummed because it does laps. You should not be bummed. It is so much fun. I tell you, Sea Hill and Easy Trail are not easy. They're they both fun. I, did you see the Did you see the video on on that, Stephen? I don't know. I, I no, I just know the trail. So. I posted up a video on. So they re, redid this, and I posted up a video. You can find it on my YouTube channel. If you go on there, just look up Jonathan Lee Carson City Off Road, something like that, and yeah. you'll be able to find it. Anyways, it's it's. I posted up. A lot of people asked for a full course preview, so it is full. It is an yeah. hour and forty seven minutes long. Okay. So you can pick and choose. I don't expect anybody to actually watch that thing all the way through. However, apparently people have been doing that. Anyways, it's gimbal footage. It's it's so it's smooth and it's good stuff. And occasionally I give like insights along the way. So if you want to get like an inside line on exactly what the course will be like, that's it. Yeah. So you can see it, but. Uh, we're just going to break down the course really quick. So when you start out and you end up going up that Kings Canyon road, the first lap, it's going to be long and it's going to be kind of relentless feeling until you get on that single track. And then you're going to get some more roller coastery stuff. Yeah. A couple of things to keep in mind, uh, bike setup for this race. A light bike is going to be good, but at the same time, you have a lot of bumps on this new single track section that I think if you have a full suspension, you're going to be faster. Yeah. You're also going to save more energy on a long day. Totally. So I would say a full suspension XC rig is going to be very good for this race. Yeah. On tires, you're going to want to run something that you don't need a whole lot of grip for the majority of it. 
it's it's you could run something like a Maxis Aspen and you could probably be just fine. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> there is a section when you drop down from Easy Trail and Sea Hill and you get into that meadow into the meadows where the sheep are, where you're on a Jeep trail and it's like really deep kind of silt and loose rock. And there's rock underneath and hidden in the silt. Yeah. yeah. So it's very hard to maintain traction. Mm -hmm. So you are going to want something that's a little gnarlier for that stretch. And then, but it, to be honest, that's probably like a 70 meter steep stretch that you might end up doing a hike a bike on anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to just, you know, have your tire choice for a 70 meter stretch of road yeah. and said, pick your tires to the rest. Yeah. Like I hate to say it, but I think, you know, the ardent race, which is what you always run. I think that's kind of the perfect tire. Yeah. And uh, EXO casing for like, I think EXO just because generally up here, the rocks are sharp. Rocks are sharp trail. Yep. Like, and there are spots where you get into, it's cleverly designed where you can pinch your, your wheels kind of, you know, where you, you can't really go through at a good angle. Yeah. So you're going to rub sidewall no matter what. Yep. So you have to be really careful on making sure that you weight and unweight your bike properly so that you don't end up coming down and slicing a sidewall. Exactly. So EXO casing would be a good idea. Uh, Maxxis icons wouldn't be bad for this one either. Nope. Uh, and like I said, you could probably get by with Aspens too. Um, you're just probably going to lose some in some situations, but it's, it's not a bad choice. I mean, especially once you get down, so you cover this easy trail, that new one, it's rocky and got some, some pedally, some, some tricky sections on it. Yeah. You'll get through that and then you'll be on that fire road. And if you're on that fire road and you have some, some Aspens, it's still kind of loose on that fire road, yeah. but if you have some Aspens, you'll still be fine. Yeah. I would say that if you're talking about tread pattern, I would almost favor volume over tread pattern. That's a, a two, three, five ardent race. It would be perfect. Yeah. I think it'd be really good. And so, and I know there are a lot of XC guys that are probably listening to this and thinking the ardent race is probably too gnarly and, and sure, you, you know, you probably could have less rolling resistance. With yeah. But you're else. not going to want to ride a Thunderbird on this. No, so. I, you're going to shred those things. Yeah. Uh, with those rocks on that, on that section a after you. So once you get onto Ash to Kings, it's mostly hard packed surface yeah. and it's got some loose over hard, some little slippery spots. But uh, one thing to keep your, keep an eye on this trail, if you've ridden it before this year has some washouts on it from all the heavy rain melt or snow melt that we had in rain. Yep. So you're going to have sections where you're going to be ripping along and suddenly the trail just kind of like falls off and you have to ride a really tight off camber section around a blind corner. Yep. Make sure that you are just riding smooth that first lap so that you can memorize everything. Yeah. It's going to be super important. Uh, after that, you'll go down a, that trail on the Ashton King. So you'll do that. And there are so many switchbacks and plenty of climbing. It's awesome though. Yeah. And you'll end up going down the Creek trail, which I don't know if you've ever ridden the Creek trail there, Steve. I've ridden the Creek trail. Yeah. So really tight little trail, mm -hmm. fun and tight. Not like I'm from the late nineties saying something's cool, but yeah. as in, it's like, it's a tight turny little tight. trail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tight bro. Yeah. And then it's got, but it's got growth surrounding it. Like you're in a canopy a lot of the time yeah. with trees. And you cross a river a few times <clears throat> with that one. There is one section where if you go left, so it's about, I would say, uh, maybe 30 seconds or probably a minute into the trail. When you start the Creek trail, a minute down, you'll get to a spot where you can go left and there's a drop that's about three feet tall. Yeah. If you go right. It's the steps that you can go down. If you go left, I actually don't think that it's faster. 
if to do the drop. The drop. No. Yeah. Because if you do that, you end up landing kind of on flat, almost uphill ground. Yeah. You lose a lot of momentum. If you go right down those steps, you can carry a lot more momentum through the next bit. And there's a little uphill section right after. Yep. Exactly. So I would recommend going right on the steps. The drop's more fun, but yeah, it's faster to just take the steps. Yep. Yeah. After that, there's a few sections that they've kind of smoothed out this year and it's, it's a little smoother, but there are no real option lines that you have to, to worry about. There's one section where you'll cross the river and you'll be kind of like turning slightly right. And at that point, you'll be paralleling the river for a bit on the right, on rider's right side. Yeah. After that, you'll end up crossing the river on the left. You want to shift down at that point. Because at that point, you're going to have a really tight little switchback. So you want to shift down to make sure that you can get through that switchback. Exactly. Yep. After that, you end up climbing back up a little bit after the creek trail. And it's just wide open and the dirt is kind of like DG, so decomposed granite. So it's like like hard packed, like landscaping granite almost, yeah. you know? Uh, it's just kind of, it's loose, but when you ride on it really fast, it still gives you a pretty darn good traction. Yeah. Uh, after that, it's that return to sender trail is just wide open pedal as hard as you can get through that stuff quick. And then you're on the road for a long time on the road section. Uh, it's, I think that it's smart. There's a lot of time actually to be made up there. Mm -hmm. I think that the key thing that you want to focus on is just being as aerodynamic as possible. We usually have winds that will give you a tailwind mostly a tailwind in that yeah. section, but things can switch. And if we get easterly winds, then, then you'll be having a headwind most of the time. Yeah. You know, the time of year though, you're not really going to get what they call the tone of Apollos where you're going to get that easterly wind. So you should be, you know, getting a tailwind. So, but in any case, um, you can go to profiledesigns.com and you can get clip on arrow bars and then you, use it for you that. You can, yeah. this is correct. Like you, you're, you're capable of doing this. You yes. shouldn't do that though. <laughs> you know, to be honest though, it's, it's, it, it is a good amount of pavement. Yeah. And if you're looking at gearing for this course, I don't know if, so this is the first situation where I've been like Eagle actually would be really nice here. And that's kind of crazy to think that I'm saying that, but the reason for that is because you can still get your low gearing, but you can run a bigger chain ring up yep. front, which in most cases, the size of the chain ring up front is now limited by the frame design yep. in most of our situations. <clears throat> but if you can run Eagle, you can still have really low gearing, which is a good idea because there are some steep sections on this course. Yeah but you'll be able to carry a whole lot more speed. So yeah. I was running a 32 tooth chain ring and my 1042 X01 cassette. And I was darn near maxed out at like 120 RPM with a, with a tailwind on yeah. that section. So that was a little frustrating because I knew that if I had another gear, you know, I'd be able to be carrying probably three, four miles an hour faster. Yeah. And, there. and even on my Jekyll, on my new Jekyll with Eagle, you know, I, the first thing I did before I ever even rode the bike was I moved from the stock 30 to yeah. three zero yep. up to a 34. Yep. And I actually have better climbing than any of my bikes I've ever had yep. with a bigger chain ring. Yeah. So that's so. the, that's the one situation where I think Eagle could be nice. Or if you have a two by, you can just pop that front derailleur over yeah. to the big ring as yeah. they say, put it in the dog and get, yeah. get going. So, yep. um, or you can also just run like E 13s TRS race rear cassette onto a nine and put, and it's a, it's a nine forty six, yeah, and then put a 34 tooth up front and you're going to have that, you know, pretty, pretty good range overall. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, that ride for me, it was 18.7 miles was the loop. I would cut that down to about probably 18.4 or 18.5. Cause there were a, just a few sections where I missed the trail, that new section of trail. Yeah. It's pretty darn new. So mm -hmm. there are sections where you're just riding along and it's kind of hard to find. Yeah. The, the <laughs> one thing to keep your eye out for, there are spots on this new trail. Like there's one spot where it started to get off camber and I was going really fast and my front end started to drift off the edge of the trail. 
And there were two gigantic mine shafts just right off to my left at oh, that good. point. Yeah. So uh, that was a little scary, yeah. but makes it more fun. Uh, there are, uh, I guess, something else to keep in mind. It's 2,461 feet of elevation gain a lap. So if you end up doing that three times, you're going to be looking at it around, you know, you're going to be getting close to an 8,000 foot day of climbing. So, well, they don't call it epic for nothing. Indeed. So that'll be a lot of climbing for a 50 mile ride, right? Yep. So it does climb quite a lot that day in terms of weather and everything else. This is probably going to be around 80 degrees. I would assume if it's a normal weather day, if yeah. it's abnormal, who knows where it could go from there. Yeah. It could be 50 and snowing. Yeah. Cause it know, snows at 50 in Nevada. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Yeah. Or it could be 106. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's 80 degrees, what it, probably around there is what it most yeah. likely will be. If that's the case, it will be hot. And I do recommend if you are the type of person, so they will have aid stations. I assume they're going to have one somewhere in the Kings Canyon area before yeah. you get onto the single track. And then I also would be, wouldn't be surprised to see them have an additional aid station, either somewhere along the Ashton Kings trail or after that Creek trail, when you do a short little climb back up to return to sender. Yeah. So they should have aid stations. They're going to have, I think they're going to have two this year. I'm not sure exactly where, mm. but you're going to have something on the Ash side and then you're going to have something right around Kings Canyon. Makes sense. So that's um, probably where it's going to be. Yeah. So I, I, I would assume those are the two spots where you'll find aid stations. And if that's the case, I don't think that you need a camelback or anything else like that on this ride because yeah. you're going to have aid stations there. And I guarantee they're going to have aid and water, you know, at near the finish line too. So they're going to have probably three total and they're pretty well evenly spaced around yeah. the course. I was just going to say that it kind of cuts the course into thirds. Yeah. So if you have that situation, I don't know. I mean, sure. Carry a camelback, but it's probably not needed in this case. What I would plan to do is, uh, my bike only has one bottle cage that I can reach easily. And then down below I can, I have my fabric bottle that I have, but pulling that off while riding is kind of difficult. Yeah. So in my case though, I'm actually just going to have a bottle in my bike, then a bottle in my Jersey. Okay. And I'm going to save one of those as much as I can. And I'm just going to take, you know, drink from one. And then I'm going to take water at every aid station yeah. that I can. Uh, that would be my plan and then save that extra bottle for reserve yeah. and that that would work well and the so. cool thing about epic rides is when they do their their bottle stations they actually you know, all their aid stations typically have camelback podium bottles Sweet. that are already pre-filled you know i ran an aid station last year for the pros and uh and so they have like bottles ready to go it's not like little dixie cups of water it's, it's a full they do bottle. everything right so yeah. so unfortunately the thing is you're gonna have to scrap one of your bottles and just throw it on the ground the which the, at the aid station they will pick it up yep um, and they actually usually have a bin at the end of the race where all of the collected bottles go yep. and you can rummage through and find yours, but you get, you know, free Camelback podium bottles at the aid stations for yourself to keep. Pretty sweet. So that's pretty cool. So another note along those lines, maybe bring bottles you don't really love. Yeah. Right? Or bottles that need to be replaced anyway. Right. You yeah. can bring those, yep. right? That's a good way to do it. Uh, other things in terms of what you would want to carry with you for this type of a ride at those aid stations, they'll probably have some type of nutrition, but I would just carry it with you. It's going to be a hot day and it's going to be a lot of climbing. So yeah. because of that, don't look for eating anything too solid. I would look for things that are easier to digest. Yeah. Uh, heat and also a lot of 
climbing with not a, anytime it's descending it's not type i mean you on the road it's a good time to eat i would say yeah that's probably the best time to eat actually mm-hmm. because anywhere else it's it's too technical it's too riding. technical to be yeah. eating it's yeah. going to be pretty difficult so yeah i would definitely eat on the roads and try to plan it appropriately there you could do the triathlon nerd thing where they just lick the the little shot blocks and stick them no, to their top don't tube. do that no <laughs> gross i'm don't. kidding yeah it's not only gross but it also harms your it's not a good idea i mean it's if bad you, for your carbon yeah it's bad yeah. for the paint yeah. or whatever else you have on your bike so yeah uh, yeah don't do that but it's going to be an awesome event i can't wait uh yeah. and i hope to see everyone there if you see us we may end up recording something live from there that could be pretty fun yeah uh we may may do that but if you see us uh when you're there let us know it'll be uh shout us shout us out it'll be a good time so yeah. you're going to be doing the dirt crit or I, not the dirt crit, the fat tire fat crit. Fat tire crit. I'm doing that. And then I'm also going to be racing. I, I'm trying right now to switch over my entry. So I'm not doing the pro race. Yeah, you can't. Uh, so, but I'm going to be doing the, the, I was signed up for the amateur 50. I want to switch it over to the amateur 35 because I have just nothing in my race calendar that it falls in line with the 50 mile race, right? So I'd rather do a 35 and try to pace that well and go really hard. It's going to be hard. 35 is going to be hard in this case. It's just a hard course. So I want to do that one. Uh, but so I'll see if I can transfer it over. Gotcha. That's the plan. Steven, let's go into the tips. Tips. You don't care. They'd count on your tips to live. You kick it off, Steven. Okay. So. Uh, they always say the best things in life are free. Yes. And so I'm going to give you guys this. I want your money. Wait, what? Sorry. It's a song. <laughs> okay. It's a song. Yeah, I can't so uh, <laughs> this is a free little gym that I'm going to share with everybody. It's uh, an Instagram account that's just really funny. And it's yeah. called The Hard Open. Okay. So the word the, T-H-E, yep. H-A-R-D, O-P-E-N. Just all together. <clears throat> all together. No underscores, no nothing. And so this is um, Mason Bond, friend of the podcast, and a few of his buddies have gotten together and started this Instagram account where they do nothing but ridiculous, what they call a hard open of a LaCroix sparkling water. (laughs) Yes. And so it's always them out riding or trail work or, you know, whatever. There's even one at uh, at Sea Otter of Aaron Gwynn doing a hard open. Yes. And so they just, it, it's just a really funny account with just funny videos of them just opening a LaCroix sparkling water <laughs> in the most ridiculous manners possible. It's pretty awesome. So it's pretty cool. So you should check it out. I'll be giving it a follow. Okay. Uh, my my tip that I'm going to share here is the, so I, I got all of my 2017 Quare kit, which is all custom stuff. It's pretty cool, man. Mm-hmm. It's fancy stuff. But they changed their bibs around. There's no elastic gripper on the legs now. And basically what they did was they went through a bunch of different testing on the fabric to make sure that it was proper tension from top to bottom so that it wouldn't ride up on your legs. Yeah. So that way they were like, well, you don't need grippers because it's, it has the perfect amount of tension all the way through. Exactly. So it just stays in place and I'll be darned. It works. It doesn't ride up at all. I don't have any grippers. I don't have any seams down there. It's all just seamless. It's so comfortable. They are the most comfortable bibs. Uh, they were my favorites before and they're, they're much better now even. Interesting. I'm impressed with that. And that's been really nice to have. So that they also, I think so they, they allowed you to, they allow you to change like the length of the sleeves and the waist and stuff. And I ended up taking advantage of that this year and changing around the length on the legs. I went two centimeters shorter on the legs. Cause you got to show some leg, right? Steven, 
I mean, do he's what got you to do, bud. He's got, <laughs> he's got an uncomfortable smile. Yeah. And then there's, it's also two centimeters longer on the sleeves. I went just a little longer on their sleeves. Well, you don't want to show off your girl arms. So. <laughs> got to keep those covered, right? Yeah. But then got to you keep your cycling arms covered yeah. and your cycling legs shown. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it just makes them, yeah, it makes things fit just so well. Uh, mm-hmm. Their stuff is awesome. So I've been enjoying that, uh, having some nice bibs that fit better than anything else I've tried. So that's the tip. So what are we going to do with, I think at some point we need to do a little, you know, Jonathan Lee custom designed Kaware We should MTV do some podcast, MTV podcast stuff. stuff, right? Yeah. Just saying. If, if, so I think that we'd have to have some social proof for that. In other words, like to tell Kaware like, Hey guys, like we want to make these kits because then they could sell them, yeah. but we'd have to, so let us know. In other yeah. words, let if, us know what you if guys If you think. would be into this. We can do, we may be able to do baggy stuff. I think we can. That's, and that's more what I'm interested yeah. in. But, <laughs> really? <laughs> but you also yeah. need bibs and yeah. all of that other stuff. Yeah. Uh, we'd probably be able to do a number of items. So let us know, go to mtbpodcast.com. Let us know what items you'd be interested in, whether it's just a jersey, like a normal, like a tighter jersey, whether it's a baggy jersey, whether it's shorts that are baggy or bib shorts, whatever it might be. Yeah. Let us know what you'd be interested in, in terms of MTB podcast kit. And then uh, we'll end up designing some stuff and getting it going. Exactly. Go to mtbpodcast.com, subscribe, listen, share, shop, do all those things from there. It will just help us get more of these podcasts out, higher quality stuff, maybe go to some cool races and be able to cover some content. Definitely. It'll be very good. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.